with us today as we wrap up, really, the final week. We're wrapping up this important series we've been journeying through on uh, looking at the life of this guy that's described in the scriptures as a man of God. His name is Elijah. And so if you have your Bibles with you today, I'd encourage you, let's open up. We're going to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. I'd love it if you open up with me. And today we're actually going to be talking about, like, I'm actually really, this is one of my favorite chapters. I love this um, this passage in the story of Elijah. One of the things I love about it is that it's um, it shows, you know, the ups and downs of life that we all experience, that even for a man of God, even one of the great prophets of God experiencing all the ups and downs of life. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about, um, I've used the language of doldrums, the doldrums. Anyone know what the doldrums are? You know what the doldrums are. And part of the reason for me using the language of doldrums is because depression has got, has got like these clinical meanings now, right? And so we're, not, so, so we're not talking about clinical depression. That requires, you know, medical intervention. That requires support and wraparound health and all that kind of thing. And we have no evidence within the text to say that Elijah was depressed, though many people would say that that's kind of what it was. This is like a mild form of that because we all experience feelings of feeling low. We all experience the, the ups and downs of life. And so today we're talking about Elijah and his experience of the doldrums. Is that all right? This, this, this doldrum in the life of a man of God who just happened to come off one of the greatest victories ever on Mount Carmel. After he saw God work in some supernatural ways, he came down to this really low point in his life. Now, we've seen him at a low point before, but he's in another low point here. So we'll pick up the story of Elijah here in 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 1. And here's what the scriptures say. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Now let's just backtrack a minute and and remember who we're talking about. If you remember, Ahab was described in the scriptures as an evil king. He was the 19th consecutive evil king, meaning there'd been 18 before him. He was the 19th and his epitaph said that he, he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than anyone who came before him. Not the greatest idea, right? So he came, uh, you know, he, he became this kind of uh, almost like a wuss towards the end of his reign in some respects. And he started like outsourcing um, all of his kind of leadership kind of and decisions to his wife, his evil wife Jezebel, and says, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I don't know what to do. And so he's kind of like wussing off, wussing out. And, and, and here's what Elijah did. He says, um, I, I don't know what to do. You know, Jezebel steps in and takes over and we see what she does in verse two. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah and said, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Who's she referring to? She's referring to the dead prophets, the dead false prophets from chapter 18. In other words, she's saying, I'm gonna kill you. And and you're going to be a dead man. You're going to be a dead man of God by tomorrow. And then the scriptures say in verse three, Elijah was afraid. He was what? He was afraid. And he, what did he do? He ran for his life. What? Now, hang on a minute. Like when we read that verse, that should confuse us. 
that should strike us as kind of odd, right? Like, like if you think back to all that God has done in Elijah's life, this should strike us as bizarre. And if you missed the past couple of weeks, let me just review the story for you so that you, uh, you know, when you hear what God has done, then you, like me, will kind of experience this response from Elijah as a little bit bizarre, a little bit odd, right? Week number one, we studied and we saw that the king had turned the hearts of all the people of Israel away from Yahweh, Jehovah God, to these false prophets, Baal and so forth. And so God raises up out of nowhere this prophet by the name of Elijah who comes and stares the king down and says, hey, guess what? It's not going to rain until I, until I ask God to bring the rain and to, and to cause it to rain. And he pronounces this huge drought. And then sure enough, the rain stops. No rain at all. Then God takes him to this place of the cutting, as one commentator calls it, the, the Kerith Ravine, where he is humbled and cut down, and, and, and like the season of hiding, where God miraculously provides for this prophet Elijah in a season of hiding. And while the, kill, the king's trying to kill him, God sends ravens that drop meat and bread. Thank the Lord for food, right? And then he's fed by this brook in the middle of a drought where there is no rain. And then we saw this brook comes and it nourishes him. And, and then one day the scripture says the brook dried up and God led him out of the Kareth ravine to a place called Zarephath where he met a widow who just had a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour and then it wasn't enough and, and she thought that she was going to die. And yet God miraculously multiplied that so that it was enough and God showed up again. Then one day the widow's son died and for the first time ever recorded in the scriptures, Elijah takes this dead boy up into the upper room, prays and God raises him back to life, raises him from the dead. And Elijah's looking on and going, I mean, God is faithful, God is good, God is powerful, he's more than enough, look what he's done. And then after that season of hiding in Zarephath, he, where there's been no rain, God says, all right, it's time for it to rain, go back to the king. He says, hey, bring your false prophets and he draws this showdown and David brought this message two weeks ago, right? Get the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. Let's head up to Mount Carmel and we're going to see who is the real God. Let's put on a show, put on a test. Um, Is it your gods, the sun God, or is it the one true God, Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth? And so they built two altars, put some bulls on them and said, hey, fire come down. May your God send fire. And then all the false prophets, they, they worship and they praise and they call on their gods and you know, they cut themselves and they're dancing around and it goes on all day and night and nothing happens. And so Elijah starts tormenting them a wee bit and he's like, oh, you know, maybe, maybe your God's just taking a nap. Maybe he's asleep. Shout a little louder. See if you can rouse him. Or maybe he's using the bathroom, you know, like kind of like what, what's going on? Maybe, maybe, you know... I don't know where he is. And then uh, all of a sudden he calls on God, Yahweh. God sends fire, you know, fire from heaven. It burns everything up. And Elijah says again, wow, God, you are a big God. Wow. And then he goes up to the mountain and he prays, God, send the rain. God, send the rain. God, send the rain. This is where we were last week. Seven times he prayed and off in the distance, They said, like a cloud rising out of the sea, the size of a man's hand. And Elijah says, it's on, it's coming. You know, and in faith, he believes that a storm is coming. And sure enough, it is. The rain comes. And and a miraculous provision, miraculous protection, miraculous God, over and over and over again, for years, Elijah has witnessed this. He's seen the faithfulness of God. And then one day, a woman says, I'm going to kill you. And he wigs out. 
You see why it's a bit ridiculous? He freaks, he panics, he runs for his life. And today, I want you to follow with me through this story in 1 Kings chapter 19, because I think we see four easy ways that we find ourselves in the doldrum, and then God's prescription for the four ways that we lift ourselves out. He lifts us out of it. Not We don't, we don't lift ourselves out. He lifts us out of it. Um, Four easy ways to get down in the dumps, to get in the doldrums. Four easy ways. Here's how you can do it in four steps in case you're wondering. Here's how you can do it. The scriptures tell us in 1 Kings chapter 19, let's pick up in verse 3. It says, when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. How do you get the doldrums in four easy steps? Well, if you're taking notes, here's number one. Here's what Elijah did. You wear yourself out. You wear yourself out. If you'll notice, over the past few weeks, we've, we've seen Elijah been on this massive journey, incredible spiritual high, right? He's, he's been in this spiritual battle, trusting God, following God, praying, trusting, seeking, praying, trusting, seeking, praying, battle, fight, trust, seek, pray, battle, faith, and then he runs for his life. And, and geographically, he couldn't have run any further than he, physically, he couldn't have run any further than he actually did. It says that the place he ran was like the very southern tip of the nation of Israel, right on the border of of Judah. And then he leaves his buddy, the servant, and goes another day further on his own, runs another day out into the wilderness, out into the desert. He went as far as he could and he was totally, utterly and physically exhausted. Much like many of you, I wonder. You wonder, why am I feeling so down, so low? Well, maybe you've just worn yourself out. Maybe some of you mums, you, you know, you're, you're like raising your family, you've got these young kids at home and you're working outside of the house and you're, you're putting dinner on the table and you're looking after the chores at home and you're carting the kids all over the world to all of the things that they're into, right? And, and, you, and then you get home at the end of the week and you're just like, oh, you wonder why you're worn out. Some of you students, maybe you've taken a full load and you've been working full time and you've been going hard and you can't say no to a single social engagement. You know, you've become so involved and you're playing a sport and you're coming off this time and you're going, man, why am I so down in the dumps and you're wearing yourself out. Some of you, it's not just physical exertion, right? Maybe it's all up here. It's all up in the mind where you actually believe that I've got to be there for them. I've got to make sure that they've got all that they need, that they're covered. And I've got to, I've got to be strong for everybody else. I've got to be the provider. I've got to be the one to look after and nurture them. And I've got to do all this. And all this stuff is going on in your head and your heart. And you're totally exhausted. You've worn yourself out. Like Elijah. Step number one. You want to find the doldrums? Wear yourself out. Step number two is shut people out. You see what Elijah did? It's exactly what he did. He abandoned his closest friend, his servant, the one who was with him. He said, hey, you stay here, I'm going on, right? And and quite honestly, I think that's what a lot of us do when we start to feel overwhelmed. We're like, I'm not gonna let you in. I'm not gonna tell you what I'm going through. if If I did, you wouldn't understand it anyway. And if I'm honest, this is often how I do it. 
right? We put a wall up, you know, we start to push people away or keep our distance at least. And, 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 and I hate to say it, but that's what I do when I'm worn out, when I'm hurting, that's my natural inclination. I'm just going to deal with this on my own. I'm going to get through it. I'll sort it out. You wouldn't even understand it anyway. So we begin to almost stiff arm people and just keep them at a distance. You want to get down in the dumps, wear yourself out, shut people out. The third is focus on the negative, which is exactly what our hero, this man of God does in 1 Kings 19, right? This man of great faith. What did he say? He says this. He said, I've had enough. I'm no better than my ancestors. What's funny is that nobody was asking him if he was, right? But in his mind, this self-pity began to take over. And and what self-pity does is it exaggerates, doesn't it? Self-pity exaggerates and, and I'm never going to be any good and I'm always going to be stuck in this life and my life's never going to get any better and I'm never going to get into the school that I want to get into. I'm not gonna, not, never going to get the grades that I want to get. I'm never going to, I mean, I'm never going to get the promotion that I want at work. I mean, my kids are never going to come to Christ. I'm never, right? We just focus on the negative over and over and over and it's an exaggeration. It's this focusing on the negative. It's all the bad things removed, separated from any of the good things. You want to get down in the dumps? Here it is, friends, right here in the scriptures. You wear yourself out, like many of you. You shut others out. You don't let them in, and you focus on the negative. Here's the fourth one. You forget God, which is exactly what many of us do, isn't it? I mean, imagine this. All that we saw God do in the life of Elijah, supernatural protection and provision and, and, and birds feeding him and water from a brook in the middle of a drought and raising the dead and fire from heaven. And I, I mean, oh God, you're not gonna come through for me, you know, which is what we often do, isn't it? I mean, I can look back on the faithfulness of God in my life. He was there. He provided, he comforted, he was, he was a strength, he was everything that I needed. But in this moment, when I'm down, when I'm low, I forget the faithfulness of God. Anyone else? You're like, okay, Clint, we're ready for some hope. You've taken us down, right? <laughs> you want to get the doldrums, maybe you've experienced it, right? Maybe I've just kind of given a, a little bit of an unpacking of your own journey and your own life. You've worn yourself out. You've shut people out. You've, you've focused on the negative to the exclusion of the positive and you've forgotten God in the midst of it all. So let's talk about the answer. Because quite frankly, I wonder if many of us here today, because this is actually the word that you need to hear from God in this moment. That God's speaking directly to you because maybe you are down in the dumps, more than just a little bit blue. Maybe you're in full-blown doldrums bordering on depression and maybe you're in a place of hopelessness and the good news is, friends, God sees you, he knows, and he's, he wants to speak to you. Will you listen? So let's continue to look at these scriptures and, and, and what, we can, what we're going to find is what I've called God's prescription for our doldrums. God's prescription for our doldrums. See, Elijah's here wanting to die under the broom tree, right? He didn't have any hope. He's hiding out. And and I want you to notice, God sends an angel to represent God in this moment. And here's what I want you to notice that the angel does not do. 
The angel doesn't like, come on now, pick yourself up, give him a really good sermon. You know, he's like, oh, that's what you need. He doesn't give him a rebuke. There's no shame. There's no guilt. The angel's not saying, if only you had more faith, Elijah. If only you kind of persevered a little bit longer, Elijah. If only you pushed through a little bit more, Elijah. No, no, no. If only you memorized more Bible verses. No, none of that. There's no rebuke. There's nothing negative. Look at the first thing the angel says. If, you look, if you're taking notes, look at this. He says, God says to eat and rest. God says to eat and rest. The very first part of the prescription for our doldrums, God says, eat and rest. Look at verse five in the middle of the verse. He says, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. I, just, I don't know, man. I, look, I just love the way that God keeps showing up and providing food. I love food. I'm not going to lie. I love food, you know? And I love that in this story, we've seen it back in chapter 17 where he's flying in fresh groceries by ravens to the side of the brook, right? We see it again when he's ready. He's under the broom tree in the wilderness and God's showing up with fresh baked bread. You can smell it, can't you? Right? That's so good, right? Better be sourdough. Um, and I just love the way that God's providing food all the time. He ate and he drank and then he lay down again. Eat and rest, eat and rest. Friends, I know what this feels like. I can relate a little bit to Elijah as I read this story. because, um, And some of you will know this because I've talked with many of you. But uh, in the journey of planting our church, I experienced um, probably more than doldrums. I practically burnt out. The end of 2014, um, we young family, planting a church. I was trying to do some doctoral studies and it just was not going well. I had worn myself out. I had shoved people out. I had, you know, like all of the things. I had done all of the things and I was not well. Um, and I remember talking to my GP and they said, Clint, I think you're beyond mild. You're into moderate depression. It's not, it's not severe yet. It's not, you know... Your moderate depression, um, and 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 what are we going to do about this? And I remember talking, you know, and, and I'm like, okay, let's, you know, before we go on to medications and things like that, let's let's try a reset. Let's try and do some healthy things that I know I'm not currently living into. Let's try and give me six weeks. I'll come back in six weeks and see if the dial's starting to shift towards health. And so I started to eat and rest, eat well, rest well. I, I like I remember my my professor when I was uh, you know at uh, first first started studying for ministry and preparing for ministry. I intro to pastoral ministry class. Professor Keith Drury, he said he looked around at many of these you know like uni students that were like way overdoing it, way overextending all, all, all the time. And he said, you know what? For many of you, the most spiritual thing you can do is to take a nap. <laughs> Honestly, that's what he said. He said the most spiritual thing you can do, friends, is to rest. And the truth is, God's embedded that in the regular rhythms that he invites us to live into, to daily rest and relax in and with Jesus, to weekly stop work in order to rest. That's the practice of Sabbath, right? He's given us these rhythms to live into, and I was just not living into them. I was just violating them. Any wonder I wound up burnt out, depressed. And some of you, maybe the most spiritual thing you can do this week is not go to another meeting and 
not read another Bible verse, but maybe the most spiritual thing you can do this week is to rest. Maybe that's the invitation from God for you this morning. In fact, I wonder if one of the most disobeyed commands of God in the world that we live in is that people don't rest. Honor the Lord your God with the Sabbath, and yet we just shake that off as if it's nothing. As if that's like, that was for another time and another place. That doesn't apply to me here and now, you know, but perhaps the most spiritual thing you can do is rest. And I know you're thinking, you're thinking the same thing that I was thinking. I remember this, you know, I, I, I just got to do this and I've got to do that and I've got all these things, my list, you wouldn't believe my list, you wouldn't know all the commitments I'm carrying, Clint, you know, but, but I've got to do that, you know, and, and I believe God would say to you, it does not matter if the clothes are dirty, It doesn't matter if the house is not clean. It doesn't matter if the yard is not mowed. It doesn't matter if a few things go undone. But perhaps the most important thing, the most spiritual thing you could do is to rest. The angel of the Lord, he provides food and and lets him take a nap in in, in here in 1 Kings 19. And then look at verse 7 and 8. It says, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, this is the same mountain most scholars believe where God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. Basically, you can, you can interpret this as like the angel saying, eat and rest and go to church, right? Go to the pre- place where God is. Go to the place where I have met you before. Go to the place where God is. And I wonder if too many people in our world today, and particularly Christians and followers of Jesus, I have seen this left, right, and center. They go, oh, I need to eat and rest. Amen. That sounds like a good word from God for me this morning, Clint. And they immediately distance themselves from the presence of God. And they practice rest according to the ways and the culture of our world which will not give you the rest for your soul that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 11. Remember in Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me is what Jesus says. He doesn't say, go and binge on Netflix. He doesn't say, just take out a day off work so you can game all day. He doesn't say, go and take a nice walk along the beach and you'll experience rest for your soul. While these are good and healthy things, friends, perhaps the most important thing you need to prioritize in your eating and resting is the being in the presence of God, resting and relaxing in and with Jesus. That's where you'll find rest for your souls. Don't remove it. Don't remove it. Elijah is running to, running to, uh, yes, we may need to, you know, kind of pause on extra things for a, for a season, you know, opt out of those things for a period of time, but then we need to opt back in, go to the place where God is. So God's prescription for our doldrums is to eat and rest, and now go to the place where you will experience God. That's the first thing he does, right? He says, go, eat and rest, but don't exclude God. Don't forget God in that rest, remember? The second thing, this is going to speak to some of you, I think, is that God replaces our lies with his truth. We've talked about this before. God replaces our lies with his truth, right? The lies that we're believing, he replaces them with his truth. Look, look at verse 9. The scripture says, There Elijah, when he gets to Mount Horeb, there Elijah went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now let's just pause here and acknowledge that God already knew what he was doing there. Come on, surely, right? God's not out there going, hmm, I wonder what's going on here. Let's just investigate a little. Let's just find out what's happening with Elijah. Let's, you know, like God knew. God wanted Elijah 
to voice his own problem to God, right? God wanted him to verbalize whatever it was that he was believing, whatever lies he was believing, so that God could correct those lies and replace them with truth. What are you doing here, Elijah, he says in verse 10. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Well, that's true. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. That's true. Broken down your altars, true. And put your prophets to death with the sword, true. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. False. Yes, they're trying to kill you, but hear it? I am the only one left? False. I've been doing all the work? False. I'm the only one who cares? False. I'm the only one that can get it done? False. Uh, He owned more responsibility than was actually his to own. He had done what God had asked him to do and he thought he was supposed to do everything. He's thinking, there's no one who cares like me. Everyone's depending on me. I'm all alone. Nobody understands. False. If you actually read on in the story a little bit later, God's actually going to say, well, Elijah, truth be told, there's actually 7,000 other Israelites, 7,000 others who have not bowed down to the gods of Baal and Asherah. There are 7,000 others who are still seeking me and praying and following me. Don't believe the lies. You're not the only one. Oh, friends, I can only imagine that what God would say to many of us today when we start to believe these lies in our own lives. Oh, my marriage could never be healed. Why? With God, all things are possible. Replace the lie with the truth. My kids, oh, they're never gonna come back to Christ. Why? Jesus says, with faith as small as a mustard seed, God can move mountains. Oh, I got this medical report and it's over, right? Oh, is that too hard for God? I think many of us, we believe the lies. My life's never going to get any better. I'm never going to meet that perfect person and have the intimate relationship. And I'm never going to be all, I'm going to be all alone for the rest of my life. I'm I'm stuck in this dead end job. I've got no real ministry. I can't make any difference. My husband's never going to believe in Christ. I'm always going to feel alone. Friends, God takes those lies and replaces it with his truth. It's what he does. The scripture says we need to cooperate with God in that. We're we're, we're in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So where are you right now? Where are you? Some of you, if you would speak verbally, if you would kind of verbalize the things, if God were to say to you, friend, why are you here? If you were to verbalize, you might just speak a lie. I'm always going to be depressed. I'm always going to be down in the doldrums. It's always going to be this way. Well, maybe God would take that and say, that's actually not the whole truth, friends. Remember, there's 7,000. There are people who care about you. There are believers who surround you. There's a Holy Spirit who will comfort you. Don't believe the lies. God's prescription for our doldrums is take rest. Rest. Maybe the most spiritual thing you can do is take some time off. And then replace the lies that you're believing with the truth of God. And the third thing that God does is this. So meaningful to me and I hope it is to you as well. God speaks. Not often how we expect. God speaks in a still, small voice. He says, eat, rest. He replaces our, our, our lies with his truth and he speaks in a still, small voice. Now remember... 
who uh, Elijah's used to dealing with. He's, he's talking about the God of fire, the God of miraculous provision. And so he goes to meet with God on the mountain of God. And he's probably thinking, God's going to show up in this massive earthquake. Okay, God's going to send this fire and he'll be in the fire. He'll be in the storm. And, and, but watch what the Bible says. It says, the Lord God said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Now, I've been in some pretty strong winds, but I haven't seen rock-shattering strength, you know? But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Perhaps a better translation for gentle whisper is the sound of sheer silence. And I found, friends, sometimes when we are the lowest, God tends to speak the softest. Have you ever noticed that? That when we're lowest, God speaks the softest? Sometimes sometimes it's just a word. may not be much. may not be loud. But it's always exactly enough exactly enough a gentle whisper not some booming sign that God is capable of doing and and done before but just his voice and that's what friends uh, here's what I take so much comfort in today is that I know there are those of you who are here and you're hurting and 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 I don't find any confidence in in you taking anything from my words this morning but I know that through my words and between my words and underneath my words and behind my words, God can and will speak to you if you will listen closely enough. You may just hear that still small voice saying, I'm here. I'm with you. I see. I'll never leave you. You're not alone. I am enough. The still, small voice of God. Friends, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to rest. Other times, we need to capture those lies and replace them with truth. We listen for that still small voice of God and the fourth thing that Elijah does I think this is beautiful God gives us something to do to overcome the doldrums God says eat rest replace the lies with truth God speaks in a still small voice and then he gives us that divine assignment look in verse 15 then Elijah the Lord said to Elijah Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel, Meloh, I can't pronounce that, to succeed you as prophet. In other words, he says, go back and do what prophets do. It's like Elijah's been revived completely. Go back and do what prophets do. And I believe the Spirit of the Lord would speak to many of you today and say, there's something yet for you to do. Yes, you feel down. Yes, you might feel blue. Yes, you might feel hopeless. Yes, you feel afraid. You're unsure. You've lost your confidence. You don't see it. And God may say, if you're still alive, you're not done. 
You know, if you're still here, it's because God has something for you to do. Go back to doing what prophets do. And you, you might say, well, Clint, I'm not a prophet. I'm not a man or woman of God. I'm, what, what are you? Are you a mum? Then go back to doing what mums do. Are you a business person? Go back to doing what business people do, right? Are you a follower of Jesus? Go back to doing what followers of Jesus do. Are you a person of prayer? Then go back to praying like people uh, of, of, of God pray. Do you have the gift of serving? Then go back and serve someone. Do you have the gift of giving? Then go and give something. Go back and do what God has called you to do and watch as he brings life back out of you. Go back, O oh man of God, and do what prophets do. And maybe you're sitting there this morning going, wait a second, Clint, this feels like you're coming in the back door with a bit of a contradiction. Because I remember the first one was eat and rest, and I like that one. That was a good one. But now you're telling me you've got to go and do something? God has something for me to do? Yeah, I am. Because that's what God says to Elijah. Yes, we need to eat and rest. But that's for a period. That's for a season. That's not to be our perpetual state of eating and resting. That's not how God wired us or created us. Yes, we need to be careful to eat and rest. Yes, we need to embrace wise boundaries. But all of that is so that we can then get on and do what God's called us to do. He's given us rhythms to live into. Yes, we need to embrace those. You hear the, 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 the danger and the, and the balance in this? We don't stop and we don't stall out in a perpetual state of rest. Trust me, I know. I took a sabbatical last year and boy, was it needed for my soul. It was a time for me to pull aside, to stop and to rest for an extended period of time. For me to rest and relax in Jesus for three months. So, And at the end of those three months, I can assure you, God gave me something to do. He said, it's time to get back up and to get going again. I can't live in sabbatical mode for the rest of my life. That's not how he wires us or creates us to be. Yes, there are periods and there are seasons to do it. In my own doldrums, you know, uh, I I told you a little bit earlier, after those six weeks, you know, after burning out, I remember going back to the doctor and saying, I'm starting to see some initial signs of health. I'm just going to keep with this for a while and let's keep tabs on it from time to time. And I did. I kept leaning into God more intentionally. I kept resting well and running more regularly and doing these things. And it took, it took about a year for me to really feel like I was kind of normal and myself again. It took a long time. But God gave me something to do. He didn't take me out of the game and say, just there there you go, that's you now, that's you for the rest of your life. That's not how it works. Yes, we need seasons to eat and rest, and rest in good and healthy ways, resting and relaxing in Jesus, right? And then God will give us something to do. And check it out, God gave him this incredible gift. God gave to Elijah this incredible gift of someone who believed in him, a friend, a younger one, an apprentice named Elisha. Elijah, the man of God, and Elisha comes along and they start doing what prophets do together. And the younger one says, ah, man, if there's anything I could have, I want twice what you have. Give me a double portion of your spirit, a double portion of your anointing. And what does Elijah say? Elijah says, well, I'll tell you what, if you're here with me, whenever I leave this earth, then you can have it. And that's the way it's going to be, right? Now, think about this. What did Elijah fear the most? We saw it at the start of the message this morning. Go back to the beginning of the story. What was he afraid of? You remember Jezebel? I'm going to kill you and make you a dead prophet by tomorrow. Oh, run for your life, he says. Elijah's gone for it. You know, his greatest fear of all, death, was something that he never experienced. 
catch that? Only one of two people in all of Scripture as never, are, are described as never, ever dying. If you read the story, God sends a chariot of fire. It's there in 2 Kings 2. Sends a chariot of fire from the sky and swept him up and took him onto glory and he never experienced his greatest fear. He didn't, he didn't live through it. And the reality is that for many of you, not all, but for many of you, the number one thing that is consuming you right now, your greatest fear, your biggest what if, for many of you, you will never experience it because God will lift you above it. He does this. He can do it for you. And, and don't hear me say this morning, this, this is just one of those messages where I'm saying, hey, everything's gonna be okay for everyone all the time. That's not the case. Jesus tells us, remember, in this world, you will have trouble. He tells us that, right? In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, he says, for I have overcome the world. Even if your greatest what if does come to pass, Jesus says he will be with you and he will be enough in the midst of it. I don't know, friends, I find so much comfort when I look at this man of God, Elijah, who goes from on top of the world to down in the dumps. The ups and downs of life, the ups and downs of pursuing God, seeking God, living for God. Friends, because if I'm honest, it's a reflection of the life that I live. And maybe for many of you too, right? After some of my greatest spiritual highs and greatest spiritual victories in life, oftentimes there comes the doldrums. Have a great Sunday, feel like I've preached a great sermon and been used by God in amazing ways and then by Sunday afternoon, I'm under a broom tree saying, Lord, take my life, take me now. I'm done with this. I say it a little bit humorously, but it's, it's a regular experience for me. Oh, I just can't go on. And that's when God says, rest. Tell me how you're feeling so I can replace those lies with my truth. He says, listen for my voice. And now get back and do what you're supposed to do. Because he is always, always enough. So come on church, let's pray together. And I believe that God wants to do some things in people's hearts this morning. And so, Lord, we do just welcome you. Uh, God, we ask that in this holy moment, your spirit would be moving and speaking to us exactly what we need. Exactly what we need. Lord, you see, as we pray in this moment, you see each and every one who is experiencing that, that, that place of the doldrums, of feeling really low and run down. And you are speaking to them even now saying, rest, Rest in me, rest in me. Don't run from me, rest in me. Maybe, maybe right now, Holy Spirit, you're putting your finger on lies that people have believed. They become so wrapped up and consumed by them that they feel true. And in the name of Jesus, I break the power of those lies over your minds and hearts right now. Holy Spirit, would you lift those off and breathe with your still, gentle voice. Breathe, Spirit-filled truth to replace them. May they find good soil where those truths can take root and grow up to produce, to produce a kingdom harvest, life-giving harvest. Lord, I pray for, oh, for those who maybe are feeling like 
they don't even know how to hear your voice. God, make it unmistakable this morning. I just have a sense that this morning, actually, God's wanting to revive some of you. He's giving you something to do. And you've known it maybe for some time. But you're still feeling like, oh, I'm not ready for it. I wonder if that's you this morning, if you'd be willing to just raise a hand so I know who I'm praying for. I'd love to pray specifically for you. That like Elijah, getting his calling, getting his vocation as a prophet of God back this morning, God's giving you something back by his spirit. And you sense it. If that's you, let's just raise a hand where you're at. No one's looking around. Mm, Thank you, Lord. Hands going all over the place. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you see those. You see each one. Holy Spirit, will you come and minister? We welcome you in this moment. Come, Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you for all that you are doing, for the things that you're speaking into our hearts and lives. Lord, may we respond now faithfully to you. God, to embrace and cooperate and partner with the things that you are doing, Holy Spirit. We pray this in the name that's above every other name, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Saviour. We pray together. Amen. Amen.